Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, joined as always by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. We've got a very exciting episode this week as we will be discussing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. A little behind in getting this out, I think. Uh, it came out last weekend, but that could be a good thing because, uh, at least for me, it's given me a little time to think about the movie after seeing it. But mostly, I'm sure we're going to have a spoiler section somewhere in here. So hopefully you've had a chance to see it as well. If not, we'll do our best to include our spoil alerts, as we always do, right after we spoil something. Uh, right I after. Suspect, yeah, I, sus- I suspect uh, our conversation on this film will take up most of the podcast, but we will wrap everything up with our top five Leonardo DiCaprio performances. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? No, I'm a stuntman. Look at me. So you still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Okay, guys. You guys know that I was very excited to see this movie. Uh, more excited than I have been to see any movie in a long time, I think. And that didn't really have anything to do with you know, expecting this to be the best movie I've ever seen. I feel like that happens a lot when we get real excited. Um, but rather, it was more that I didn't know exactly what to expect. And that's always part of what's fascinating whenever we get to see a new Tarantino movie. So, of course, this movie ended, and just as I expected, it wasn't exactly what I expected. And so since then, the days that have followed been sitting in my study pondering this movie wait you got you got a study i've yeah just for that just for pondering. Oh, wow um you can come see it and ponder some things if you'd like i'd love does to does it have a fireplace it does it does uh-huh. and it has um my i keep my smoking jacket in there and my pipe um anyway amidst my pondering i realized that i needed a tarantino fix at that time i couldn't immediately go out and see once upon a time in Hollywood again, which would have been my first choice. But fortunately, a lot of his movies are streaming. So I chose to watch Inglorious Bastards. I feel like I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with that movie. And I felt that would be the most enlightening one of his movies to watch. And it took just until I got to the opening title card to start developing a take that I think is interesting for this podcast. Interesting. So chapter one of Inglorious Bastards you guys remember what that happens to be called? Once upon a time in occupied Fran- Nazi occupied France, which was Once I believe the the, uh, the original title of the film. Once upon a time in Nazi occupied France. Um, I hadn't specifically remembered that, um, mostly because those title cards and those chapter names uh, in Tarantino movies are usually very brief and they're not always all that important. Um, I think a lot of times they're there for him more than us. Sure. Uh, but I thought to myself, that's kind of interesting. He's done something like this before. 
Uh, Fox Force 5 in Pulp Fiction was kind of the seed for the deadly Viper assassin squad in Kill Bill. And I was thinking it would seem that Tarantino takes these small little things from other movies and creates a, a big idea or even whole movies out of them. And then came my, oh yeah, no shit moment. That's what he does all the time. That's not a take. And my idea, my so, discussion idea I have was, no opinions on <laughs> was dead on arrival. I was like, oh, Tarantino takes things from other movies. But Tarantino totally bites things from Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> but the Once Upon a Time thing, uh, the title card, and then, of course, the title of this most recent movie, I felt was kind of obvious. And a lot of the Tarantino references in his newest film are also kind of obvious. Uh, they're certainly more obvious than what we're used to from him. So, as usual, before we get into our thoughts on the movie as a whole, I wanted to get your feelings on this approach by Tarantino. And I'm sure there's a, a ton of obscure references littered throughout Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But what did you guys think about him essentially making a movie about how much he loves movies and being very much out in the open with it? But this isn't the first time. I feel like every Tarantino movie is about how but, much he loves movies. But is it ever this reference. obvious? Yes. I do it, feel like it. I feel like every time I watch a Tarantino movie, and for the good and for the bad of it, you're watching somebody reference their their love of movies, and and then you're trying, you're watching a master director piece together other films in his own film, and okay, which is so I let, think let me I elaborate I, on it. A little okay, bit. for the average audience that watches a Tarantino movie or watches any movie. Mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is very clearly paying homage to TV uh, shows and well, movies. A certain era in Hollywood. It's yeah, not, in a certain era. In the not even West. the golden era. It's like a TV era. We watch a, We watch Pulp Fiction and we and we see those moments where he's picking up the chainsaw and he's picking up the samurai sword. And, and we recognize those as Tarantino paying homage to or paying homage or piecing together, however you want to put it, to other movies throughout uh, movie history. But I think to the average audience member, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is being much more in the forefront with it. And I think that that was an interesting choice because he is always very kind of subtle about it. He takes those pieces and makes them his own, where I don't know that he totally does that here. You're, so you're basically saying instead of making it part of a distinct plot point within the movie that he's creating, he's just saying... Essentially recreating it. This recreating is what, scenes. This yeah. is what happened. Yes. I, okay. I And I'm curious what you guys think about that, because it's different, I, I think. It is different, and I agree with it. And I think that it also, for lack of a better word, makes the movie less interesting in some ways because he's taking those references and just showing them as references rather than building his own world, which he usually does with it. And I don't know, like a, a lot of times, and if you want to take it one step further, if you want to go like scene by scene, like Tarantino is usually great at having these long drawn out scenes that have some sort of underlying tension within them that re that is referential and also has that sort of i guess the word is tension um whereas in this film i felt like a lot of times that underlying te tension was never there it was just like the scene was the scene the scene was brad pitt 
feeding his dog. Like that was the scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that and that's another discussion I want to get to. But Chapin, uh, before we get to that, what did you think of of this uh, approach by Tarantino? Well, I, I don't want to tell you what you're no- noticing or not noticing, but I guess for me, what was different about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was that it. I I feel that Tarantino's films up up until this one are all more about movies than they are about real life and and i think that that's one the reason why we love tarantino because he's a film geek like we are i mean i don't think anybody's as big a film geek as tarantino is but you know he appeals to a certain sect of you know uh, burgeoning filmmakers or film fans people who went to film school because he he's an encyclopedic you know reference to everything movies but it's also a negative, right? Like, I watched Reservoir Dogs. I don't think Reservoir Dogs is about, like, uh, I watched Reservoir Dogs, I've obviously seen it before, but I watched it recently um, just because I've been interested in all things Tarantino, of course, lately. And, um, you know, like, that movie is really good, and the dialogue is really great, but I don't think it's about, like, you know, what it's like to be a criminal or the, the pressures that drive you to be... Uh, uh, you know, it's, he's not interested in the real world aspects of, of these Would scenarios. You, mm-hmm. He's more interested in, in, in like how, like, all right, well, if you were to take reservoir, Dog, I'm just curious, Chapin, like, it, like what would be the, what would be the opposite of that? Like a heat, like a heat would be the actual, like what it's like to be the criminal, what it's like to be the good guy. Well, I mean, I, th- I certainly think heat is a little bit more, I don't know if realistic is the right description. But, but a, that's what he's focusing on. It's, it's not it's focusing a, yeah, it's on. It's a little bit more about the lives of these. Uh, I think Michael Mann's more interested in like the lives of those people and the way that they or even intersect. A, or even a Goodfellas, like a yeah. like a section of Goodfellas. I is think you can, the real life version of Reservoir Dogs. I, I think you're onto something. Yeah. Yeah, you can look at. I think like you look at Scorsese. Scorsese's doing things, but I think Scorsese's more interested in like what drives people and and the more like real human elements like that that make these people interesting. I mean, he's, uh, you know, as obsessed with the criminal underworld as Tarantino is, but he's doing it in a different way. And I think Tarantino's always been, you know, he, do, he doesn't see things as, oh, I'm taking these, I'm taking something, I'm taking the real world and I'm bending it. It's like everything is seen through the lens of cinema and, and the history of cinema. But I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the first movie he's done where I, ironically, because of the where the, what the name is and where it's set, where I, I don't think that that same lens is there. I think that there's a lot of, like, in, in many ways, like, the most genuine moments in, in this film. And that isn't to say that, like, it, there, it's good or bad. I don't want to, I'm not trying to answer that question yet, but you referenced, uh, Jeremy, I, what, I, what I think is, like, the long scene, for example, in um, Inglorious Bastards, where... You know things are building, and and you know uh, the, the the scene in the, in the underground bar, it's an amazing scene. But I don't think any of us look at that and say this is a deconstruction of anything. Um, I don't want to say real because I know that that doesn't matter. It's not real. It's not even a deconstruction of. Human, but you know is what it? is real? There is the stakes for those people, and you feel it absolutely, and that's important. But even but like, but every. He's even, but he's he's taking you out, like, even at the end of that scene, when, you know, 10 people have died in a shootout, they debate the definition of a Mexican standoff, you know? And, like, so everything is seen through this lens 
of movies. And even the, you know, you've got these. So I don't know. I, I think. So here's the question. Like, so do you think, are you saying this is different somehow? Yes. Cause it's I different. don't, I don't know think, if it's better. So I it think, is different. I think it's definitely seen through the lens of movies, but how do you think it's not seen through the lens of movies? I think that be, because it's about, it would be too much. It would be like, it, it would be like seeing, it would be like watching a movie through to be watching like a movie through a movie which we kind of do right in a way in, in 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 this in once upon a time in hollywood but like you can't view movies through the lens that tarantino has seen every other thing because we've we it hasn't they haven't at least not ten and they've been tangentially connected to films in their sort of plots but this lens of cinema that he sees everything through and that would be too much for for this because it is I mean, it's but, about movies in Hollywood and and, and, right. I and mean, these even things the, that have been on the lips of his characters for thir- you know 25 years but like you even look at the title the title is clearly a reference to a spaghetti western or a Sergio Leone movie sure well, and I, I don't I, like the title that's the first thing I'll say <laughs> well Jay, but I, I agree but with it you is a it, is, it is hard to articulate kind of I guess the answer to my question but the way I kind of look at it is while this movie has plenty of Tarantino's touches and he's his talents are still on display a lot of this movie felt like it could have been directed by anybody and again that doesn't say anything about how I felt about this movie one way or the other but it does feel like it doesn't have that deconstruction and then reconstruction of movies the way his other movies do. And Jeremy, you mentioned that that makes it a little less interesting and maybe I agree with that. And, but I do think that a big piece that I missed, but this isn't really a problem with the movie. It's just something that I like in his other movies is that tension isn't there. This movie is much more voyeuristic in that way. You're sort of just watching essentially a day in the life of these people or certainly a, but are like, they, a couple days. Here's yeah. my problem. Oh, it, like, I'll just put my cards on the table. Is it that interesting to watch a day in the life of these people when nothing really is at stake at that point? Like, that's where that's the problem I had with this film is I, I love the ending to an extent, but like, was it worth the hour and a half build up to get there. I mean, I like, think what it's, is, I, I think it was more like two hours to be honest. Right, I mean, I don't know so where your ending two, is, but yeah, yeah, okay. So sorry, you're right, 100 percent right. The the two hours and 15 minutes to get there, like because so I yeah, it's a good, it's a great question because during the movie, I I don't know how I like if I was totally like edge of my seat invested, loving what I was seeing, but. In the aftermath, and while, and that's part of why it's always good, I feel like, to kind of sit with Tarantino movies and then especially to see them again, I actually really liked that first two-thirds of the movie, and that was my favorite part. I, on the contrary, hated the end of this movie, and we'll get to that later when we spoil some things, but I... I, I <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not spoiling my opinion, I guess, but I, lo- I loved 
watching these characters and a lot did of that you, like what was i really what was did the like, interesting part like to me nothing even happened until the first time i started like getting engaged with this movie is when brad pitt's character went to the ranch and there was that underlying there was something else there there was underlying tension something terrible yeah. that happened the the tension showed up there and I, it was i was very cognizant because like you i was i was missing it throughout some of those you, scenes. You that were, scene you of, were jonesing for it. You know, were. The, the you scene with Brad Pitt it. feeding his dog, you're like, there's something missing yeah. here that we usually see in a Tarantino movie, and it's that tension, those long, drawn-out scenes that are full of tension that we've come Where so accustomed to with movies like Inglorious Bastards. How about, but that's not the movie's making here. How about the, like... Five minute sequence of him driving home, which probably cost you know ten million dollars to make because they had to light up <laughs> oh a freeway God. and then decorate Jeez. Sunset Boulevard. And that gave me a different tension as right. a location person. That gave me so much anxiety. But we've but never, that- we've never seen. I I can't remember one other Tarantino film where we are outside of the car driving with somebody. You know, like we there's the scene where there's lots of scenes where people are talking in cars. But it's not. We never like watch people drive, for seemingly no reason. Well, that that's home. my point about you know this movie mean? being voyeuristic. Like we're we're like a fly on the wall in this movie, and that's sort of what I liked about it. And and look, just because he does that tension so well, doesn't mean he has to do it here. So I felt like I couldn't hold that against him. Just but like, what is he? What are you getting out of the movie otherwise? It's it's a day in the life a day in the life of these people, and I think that was interesting. Like he's trying to show he's trying to pay homage or or pay respects to these forgotten people and and look maybe that's a personal you know roma-esque from alfonso Cuarón touch that we can't relate to as well so it doesn't (laughs) translate but that's what this movie is and that's what i in the aftermath and the days following that i i found myself thinking the most about and wanting to watch again when the stakes showed up in this movie and we'll get to it I, I found myself a bit less interested. I felt like that was a different movie that wasn't the one I'd been watching and the one wasn't the one that I kind of had apparently become invested in. I, I totally disagree as far as like where this movie, like the stakes of the movie, I that's when I was interested. So we're opposite there. But I, I do want to bring up something <laughs> that I think you can compare to another one of Tarantino's movies. So there's that moment where Brad Pitt is on the roof fixing the antenna yes and then we cut to a good 10 minute well because he's shirtless well, yeah there's a there's a flashback within a flashback yeah well yeah so there's a 10 minute flashback no no there's a 10 minute fan it's a fantasy sequence no. where he no it's a flashback there's a flashback where he kicks oh. bruce lee's ass Oh, I thought that's just what he imagined what would happen. No, he was like thinking about. I mean, the the punchline of that sequence. Days, yeah. He was like, "Yeah, it makes sense that I was that I'm not allowed back on the lot because no, the last I thought time that I was, he was. Oh, so that actually happened. It, yeah, yeah, it did happen. And then they flash back even further to the scene with his wife. So there's like a fl- the, in the flashback. There's another flashback to him on the boat with his wife. But during that flashback, we think right. that this is present time. We think we're watching yes. we him thought, trying to get another job. Oh, uh, yes. that's why I got I don't know that that's like intentional, though, to be honest with you. Maybe not. 
But it lasts for so long, you forget that he's still on the roof. See, my my intent, like what, how I I interpreted that was that he, that's what he thought would happen if he actually went there, and he was like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm better off not going because this terrible thing would happen." Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> well, uh, which I think makes more sense because he wouldn't be able to beat up Bruce Lee. Anyhow, the point uh, the point of it is, I, I want. <laughs> I wanted to compare that to the flashback, or not the flashback, or the, the, yeah, no, it was the flashback in Kill Bill, where it ends with like this whole uh, thing, oh, and then the wiggle it ends your with big toe, wiggle your big toe, yeah. and it's like this um, unbelievable payoff and hilarious line, whereas that one kind of just didn't have anything to it after, but it, maybe that was partly me interpreting it as a fantasy. I think that this movie, and I think you know, we're talking a lot about these, this, the, the tension, and I think maybe Inglorious Bastards has some of the scenes that do that best of any in his career. But I, I drew a lot of comparisons to this movie to Pulp Fiction. I think it's some of his best work since then, in terms of following characters, doing sort of mundane things and things that yeah. aren't particularly cinematic, like feeding your dog and just driving. You but know, twenty miles fiction, out. There. Everything is interconnected, and the timeline screwed up, and you have all these sort of interesting aspects to it, and the well, stakes are so are high. There's the life and death stakes all the time. I was kind of remi- all the time in pulp. I was kind of reminded of Jackie Brown more than more than yeah, that. It's a little bit. It has some Jackie Brown in it too. Um, but look, like the uh, on the flip side of this, and just so I'm, you guys aren't thinking I'm, uh, you know. 100% praising this movie. This also has a lot of the same problems as like the hateful eight to me. And, um, again, when we get to the final act of this movie, some of those will come out, but like, this is, I think this is simultaneously some of his best work and maybe some of his worst. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, uh, so I, I, I saw this just last night, so that hasn't sat with me as long as it has with you, Lee. Um, but I will say that I, I think that, this is a film that I will appreciate more as I see it more. Um, I mean, uh, which all Tarantino movies do. I, I mean, but actually, I don't know. That's, late, maybe not. I but. don't know. That's true. Yeah. Cause so, I mean, I, I, I saw this film, the same place I saw, um, the hateful eight, you know, wasn't in 70 millimeter of course, but both on film that, you know, there's this kind of old timey presentation of it and, you know, very respectful, of 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 the work and there's a lot of reverence to it um and i was so much more excited by the hateful eight when i saw it that isn't to say that i think that it's a a, a better movie or not but i think it's just a different experience and i think we talked about this a little bit with midsommar um lee where we talked about you know the the changing the audience you know messing with and using the audience expectations against you. I don't know that I don't know that Tarantino was actually doing that or conscious of it, but I mean I think this is such a differently paced film than any other of his movies and I think Jeremy you seem to be very frustrated with that. And I don't blame you because I felt a little bit of the same way watching it. I mean I think the real issue is that there really are is no tension or stakes in the film until you get to that third act. Um, right. And I like with Tarantino, like what I always appreciated with him is he's a master of structure. And here it doesn't seem like he it's, had it's, any yeah, of that it's very, structure. Like, it's very it, it, it doesn't feel like it's it's structured at all. And I usually respond, I think, a lot better to those types of films and that kind of structuring than you guys do. I mean, you know, 
Malik, all that bullshit. Like you know, those there there's a certain art I like form. Like how you to call that. it <laughs> the the movies you like that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, <laughs> you know, know all that movies I like that you, bullshit. But you don't expect that from Tarantino, right? You expect uh, a lot of. But there was so much like there there wasn't a lot of that. I didn't see any of the like tell telltale signs of of Tarantino dialogue in this. Um, I mean, there wasn't a lot of that, you know, there weren't any like long, I can't think of any long sequences like, um, that you described earlier in this podcast, Lee, um, as being a hallmark of Tarantino, or maybe that was you, Jeremy. Um, there was not, I don't, there wasn't any of that. I mean, there's a couple sequences where people are talking, but they did not feel like Tarantino films. And that, that's not, that's not for good or bad. I'm just saying like, it was a, fundamentally different experience than we've that we've had um with tarantino for the last 20 years here's a question for you guys like what about not having things happen and stakes happen that you were okay with in this movie like what was what was the linchpin for you guys to be engaged for the first whatever two hours of this movie i mean there's the there's the interesting characters you have great performances okay well no i'm that that we'll talk about i think performances were part of it i also think that while they weren't enormous there are some stakes in this movie and i do think that these the stakes in this movie are harder to get behind and that was sort of my you know roma comparison like do we really care about this aging actor that everybody forgot about that the has been that was in some TV shows and tried to make it in movies. No, we really don't. So Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton, the stakes of his kind of career coming to an end aren't really all that interesting or engaging for us, but they are there. And I think that's what we're supposed to follow to a certain extent. And also like, I don't know, this is sort of a buddy comedy too. And there is some good comedy here, which is another, you know, hallmark of Tarantino, even though it's not one of the first ones we talk about. He does it really well. And I think all that stuff works. And look, I agree with you guys 100% on the structure of this movie. Something else we'll, you know, get into uh, before we spoil things. But this movie, I don't know. Like, what, what was wrong with just kind of watching these characters and enjoying, you know, uh, Leo and Brad Pitt kind of get along with each other in this sort of quirky, you know, bromance. Well, I don't, I, Lee, I don't know what you held. I don't, I mean, if you didn't acknowledge the Rick Dalton plot as being something that, you know, got your attention, I think, I mean, I, to me, that's the linchpin that Jeremy just described. And I, and, and I agree well, it with did. you. It just, it was, it a, did it get was it. A, I just think it's not as relatable or as like quite as entertaining or interesting as some of the other you know, things that he has in his movies, like, you know, I also, Nazis. <laughs> I also think like it may, what you're just like, it may just not come easy to him. It may just not, it, you know, he, he what may not come easy. It, to him? it may not come easy to him to just have a meandering plotless two hour film. But why would he want to do that? I don't What's know. The... I, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think he, like I mentioned Jackie Brown, I think he called that film a hangout movie. You know, you just like spending time with the characters. Um, and no, but there's more stakes in J- Jackie Brown is a lot more going for it. I think I, personally, I agree with you. I'm not saying I'm not disagreeing. What I'm saying is that I think that there 
if it, you know he he's going for something different here and i just it just goes against his his natural inclination which is to like have cutaways and and you know like disrupt the narrative because because you're so invested in you know inglorious bastards is a great example and you could also see it in in django like there's a very clear simple goal you know like kill hitler kill the nazis and then you know get Bromhilda back in django and chain and and dispatch with uh calvin candy right but like we don't know where this film is going at all right like you start off and it's like you don't know if I mean, I'm sure we all had an inkling, but like, what, why are we seeing Sharon Tate? Like, is something going to, are we just going to watch her get murdered? We know what's going to, we know what happens in real life to her. Um, and, but, okay. Well, I think that's where the stakes lied was the, the tension of what really happened with Charlie Manson and the whole Manson gang. But they were very, the problem was, it was like an afterthought. Every time it was an afterthought. That's why that Brad Pitt scene where he went there, it was like, oh shit, something's going to happen. Like, this is real now all of a sudden. Because everything else, it was just, oh, they're in the background. They're in the background. They're in the background. Oh, and then all of a sudden, now we got something but it takes two hours and 15 minutes to get there i feel like you guys are getting hung up on the the stakes of the first two-thirds of this movie and the lack of tension because we're comparing it to his previous works which is no understandable because only we love because that, he but presents why it in the same way no no he present because he presents it in the same way he presents everything else that you you have the expectation and he almost is like showing you hey though this is me this is how i present movies like there's gonna be some serious shit going on but then there never was it was never about that we but i don't think he does present the first parts of this movie the same way i think he does and it's just there's no there there Hmm. well i don't know do you guys have anything before we get into some spoilers because i feel like we're skirting around it and i feel like we really need to get into it here i mean the only other thing i really want to talk about is performances but we can do that after yeah let's get to that so um did you guys let's start here did you guys see did you guys know what was going to happen no i i tried to go into this as clean as possibly yeah, well, I don't. No I don't idea. mean that. Like, did you hear what was going to happen? But while watching the movie, did you know what was going to happen? Oh, of course not, because you thought she was Sharon Tate was going to get murdered. Like, oh, come on. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I I figured that something like this was on the horizon. That's what I mean. Yeah, like he was going to totally like change history. It was going to, which annoyed me to begin with, because uh, he's done that you, already. You like, expected that because I of totally expected it to the point where I was rooting for it not to happen. Because I felt like it was going to feel cheap that he's already done this. He's already changed history. And that has nothing to do with the fact that it's totally unmotivated or essentially irrelevant. Because something like Inglorious Bastards or Django to a, a lesser extent is a revenge fantasy. And it's especially in Inglorious Bastards, the Jews killing Hitler. What I mean, what does Sharon Tate's murder have to do with Rick Dalton or you know, or, or you know, really the course of of history, aside from it being, you know, I mean, you can get into it, I'm sure, but it, it wasn't the same impact. It wasn't the same effect. Well, I don't think I, I don't think well, that's no, entirely I don't think, true. Yeah, I mean, within Hollywood lore, that's one of the I mean most significant moments. Also, I mean, and I didn't I didn't think of this. I heard it, I read it somewhere else, but like I think that a lot of people thought that those that the, the 
the Tate murders or whatever you want to call them were, were, were essentially like that night, the ending of an era, you know, like the ending of the sixties yeah, I've and, heard, I've and heard that, that too. you know, all this free love and like leaving your doors open and shit like that. Like, you know, it just, it just completely put an end to that, you know, the kind of counterculture that was happening with right. people. And, 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 and I've heard that too. And I, and I think that that's a separate conversation that doesn't have as much to do with the movie, but I, I didn't I didn't like that he essentially well basically what happens as anyone who's seen the movie knows is is spoiler Leo, Leo comes out with, in a scene that I love this this butterfly effect idea that he comes out drunk with his margarita in the blender still and starts yelling at these hippies that are coming to kill um, Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring and, and company that and then they leave and turn around like that little piece i was like this is brilliant like of because of course that could have happened what if somebody did hear him and come out and yelled at them and told him to get out of their you know uh wealthy neighborhood but then they decide to come back up and go kill the people in that house and brad pitt and his dog essentially kill all of them i just felt like it just didn't make any sense like it just Again, it was the structure of the movie didn't lead us there. So as much as I loved everything we saw before, I didn't need Brad, Hitt to, Brad Pitt's character, uh, Cliff Booth, to suddenly become the hero that saved uh, the old Hollywood. Yeah, but you needed something to happen. The whole movie was essentially about I Brad, Brad Pitt and Leo's relationship and then this sidebar of this cult outside at an old ranch so you needed them to come together at some point or else that would be bizarre yep. and and what i would have loved and i'm going to be prescri- prescriptive is if everything went exactly as history went and rick dalton was sitting drunk with his margarita in his pool next door to these historic murders happening and i think that that would have just but been... where how would you end that like what would that have to do with them that that tells the story that we watched this whole movie that this is this guy's life that we're watching he's a fading star so you he's just want nothing to happen no what do you mean <laughs> nothing happens you still get this murder that, that happens and you still see how that, that can impact people that would have worked. That would have been better than than him. He wouldn't have cared. us this. He wouldn't have cared. Our main characters would not have cared one iota. Okay, fine, fine. And you're fine with that. Yep, I would have been fine with that. No, look, I wouldn't look, have been. You wouldn't have been fine with that from a Tarantino movie, considering the director you've come to love. But that would have been a good movie. No, it wouldn't have. It would have been like, why did then? Why didn't we? Why weren't we at? Sharon Tate with Sharon Tate the whole time and Roman Polanski the whole time because then it's just then it's just a a, a, a docudrama of the murders this exactly. is this is the story of Rick Dalton I just think the idea look again I'm not trying like, I don't want to rewrite something the movie, needs but. to happen with Rick Dalton at the end that that sums up his story and just being in the pool drunk sure. while sure. they, they can wrap murdered. his story up somehow so and some other way he could he could also die of alcohol poisoning because he admits that he's an alcoholic again i, I don't know you know, where exactly funny. it ends but i just think that piece <laughs> you, you like that idea um, honestly like my, one of my favorite scenes was him in the trailer going uh, like it's amazing my, yeah. that was like uh, you, you couldn't just eight, stop at three whiskey sours <laughs> couldn't yeah. just stop at three um it, yeah it was brilliant um okay i mean i i i, I don't want to launch into a tirade here because i have a couple more things to say about this you know final third of the movie but i want to hear from you guys a little bit more although obviously you disagree with me i you hear me so i guess it's up to japen <laughs> uh, <laughs> big big shoes to fill um 
Well, you know what? I think I come down somewhere in between the two of you. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, boring. Look, look, I nobody wins. I, I mean, Lee, I, I, if if it ended, if that movie ended like that, I, I would say like, why? What there? I would feel even less connected to this film. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying I love the ending, but, but you know, <laughs> what would be the point of that? Why were we? Yeah. Why were we watching? Exactly. I mean, this isn't. This is not the problem with this. With, with the film. With that. That's a lot of movies like that, guys. That you no, like. No, no, I no, wish no, I no. had some off yeah. the top of my well, head. I, you should think of one. But listen to me as you do, <laughs> <laughs> because here's what I'll say: is just that, like, like Sharon Tate is not developed. This isn't her story. Like, I mean, a lot of people complained about that at Con, and it was kind of had this like sexist sort of uh, veiled to to it. Like these these complaints that she wasn't allowed to talk in the film or whatever. But honestly, like, I don't think it was that. It was just she's just not a very interesting character. She represents a certain innocence and you know, kind of a, a maybe a bygone era or, or something. But we we don't we don't know her except for this smiling, you know, attractive young actress. That's all we see of her. We almost see her from like a voyeuristic point of view. We never get to know her. It's like we're looking. Yeah. And so, what would be the point of of following her around all day and then she just gets murdered, you know, as we know that she's going to? And then Rick Dalton that would be more sexist. I mean, throw in some scenes. Throw in some scenes where she bumps into Leo. I don't know. I don't have the exact answer. I just feel like him doing the same thing essentially that he did in Inglorious Bastards was you're predictable. You're just annoyed with the. You, you're annoyed that he rewrote history. No, I don't care. I I liked. I loved that he rewrote history in Inglorious Bastards. It was so original, and it oh, got really? people so I, that pissed. That annoyed me. In no, it got people. It got okay, people but... so pissed, and it was so brilliant because you can do that in movies. You're allowed to. And he did a little. I, I people say he did it in Django, which maybe he did, where where Jamie Foxx goes back and shoots up the plantation. But I don't think it's quite to the same extent. But here he he essentially does the exact same thing, and I just felt like it was predictable. I knew it was coming, and I didn't like that I knew it was coming. So look, maybe my my re my revision of of the end of this movie comes from what I was sort of like, just me hoping by all hopes that it would not go the direction I was expecting it to. Lee, can I just, can I ask you something really quickly? Yes. What, what, what is this movie about to Tarantino? Like what, what is he for you? What does this movie mean? I think this, I, I mentioned it. I think he wants us to remember sort of these forgotten people that kind of littered and also developed Hollywood and kind of, made it into this kind of mythical place that we still see it as. But all these people that were part of it that weren't these big famous stars that we still talk about all the time have been forgotten. And I think he's trying to show them here and remember them here. And I think Sharon Tate is a good example. And I agree. She was kind of a boring character in this. And you don't learn a lot about her. But how much do you guys know about Sharon Tate other than she was murdered by the Manson family that's totally accurate like yeah, that she that's wasn't what, like in big movies she no, wasn't she was like, in these b movies yeah. like we don't know anything we know she was beautiful and we know well, she was murdered we don't know anything when, about she was, we didn't know anything about the imaginary character rick dalton but we, we exactly about that's her. the we learned about i know him. but that's and that's my point this is his movie we're following him so i the, i just look i like the irony i guess of of him in his pool drunk and and Brad Pitt smoking his acid lace cigarette in their house and next door the most famous murders I, in Hollywood. I, I know you happening. like it, but I can you please cite for me another time that Quentin Tarantino was ironic? 
Okay, but look, that's that's where we're getting hung up. Is this this is not a typical Tarantino movie? You're right. And I don't like I don't love that either. I I missed a lot of the things that we love about him, but he he didn't leave those things out by mistake. So we can't hold that against him. No, this is a very deliberate movie. I mean, watching this movie, you're like, Jesus Christ, this, this was a nightmare for the crew because <laughs> yeah. it was like literally driving down Sunset Boulevard or wherever that road is and just making sure every car and, and you know, everything was period literally appropriate. Literally so that's as like a, Jeremy just having anxiety attacks. As a side note. Did that do, yeah. do anything for you guys? Like, think about, let's think, it's not exactly the same era. I think it was almost 10 years later. But, you know, like, we, in a similar sort of type of movie with, um, uh, what's that fucking PTA movie that we all hated? <laughs> um, the, the, Inherent Vice. Yeah, Inherent Vice. Like, those things are notice, noticeably absent from Inherent Vice cause this, because that movie cost a quarter of what this one did. Did those big set pieces do a lot for you guys? The the the. I mean, I know it caused you anxiety, Jeremy, but like in terms of the movie, did it aid the movie? I think it well, did help for sure. But like, I mean, he went all the way out. Like, there was the drive-in movie theater that I'm sure doesn't exist yeah. anymore that they made with the neon signs and put all that. Like, I think it. It, just as a casual movie observer, I think that made a difference. Mm -hmm. I think that so a lot of that stuff. I, th I again, the, this that's something I think a, a repeated viewing will help with because you're an hour, maybe even an hour and a half into this movie before you know if you are questioning it that you start questioning what the hell is what am I watching? What's going on? So it's tough to look back and say, okay, which piece helped, which piece didn't. So watching this movie again, regardless of your opinion, you'll be able to look at that and say, okay, am I getting anything out of these exaggerated set pieces? Because I think, you know, the Brad Pitt driving through uh, Hollywood scene is like 20 minutes into the movie. Like you you haven't really caught up with what this movie is quite yet. So it's harder to judge that. Well, I mean, establishing place, I think, is an important part of any movie. I mean, you talk sure. about Ro Roma, for example, like talk about establishing place, you know, like and I think this does the best it can possibly do to establish a, a place and time that doesn't exist anymore, which is always impressive for sure. Yeah. And I think he I mean, he made me nostalgic for I don't I've never watched any of those 60s Westerns, but. Even though they're, I think they're. It's acknowledged the film acknowledges that they aren't quite the, you know, high quality sort of dramas we have now. There was a piece of me that was nostalgic for those times. It seemed like there was a respect and, a, and an aura of for those film for those types of things that that I don't I don't really feel that we have now. You know, and I'm I'm probably wrong, but um, uh, I I just felt I think that that did you know his experience on Lancer that. That subplot I, I really enjoyed, and I think for a, a number of different reasons. And I think w what's important to say about this film is that I think we will go back and be able to enjoy sort of piecemeal these things. You know, we'll be able to maybe pause on the on the Taco Bell um, <laughs> uh, sets and say, oh, wow, that looks like a real challenge and headache for the art department. But, you know, didn't they do a good job with that? And I think, you know, those are the things that in the sort of the – inertia of watching a film for the first time live with an audience in a movie theater it's hard to appreciate mm -hmm. can we uh 
move into a discussion about Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Can I ask one thing first about from you guys? Um, yeah. The voiceover. What did you guys think here? I mean, this was this was what I was talking about when I was saying I felt like this movie had a lot of similar problems to in, um, the Hateful Eight, and my issues with the structure. It took me out of the movie. Yeah, I didn't care for it. I mean, it just it. I mean, for what twenty minutes? It just kind of described everything that was going on after we kind of had this very patient two thirds of the first movie. It's the same. But you're never thing that surprised. Happened. Like you're never like, oh, oh, why is there for you're like, oh yeah. Tarantino. Yeah, I get right, it. Of course, I, I'm right. there. At this point, he's like he's such an established director, and we've watched so many of his movies, and we have such a respect for him as a filmmaker that when he does something like that, even if maybe if this was another movie and it wasn't Tarantino, this might the whole fucking podcast might be about that. But since it's him, we're like, yeah, that's eh. a good point. Get it. I, I just feel like this is uh, I, I'm worried it's a trend now because he did the he he took that shortcut in Hateful Eight to start describing everything that was happening. He always voiceover pops up in a lot of his movies a little bit. There's a little bit in Inglorious Bastards, you know, but for the most part, he never had to do that. He was always able to write everything within the context of the plot and the story. And now the last two movies, like it's almost like he couldn't figure out how to get from B to C. And he had to throw in this voiceover, which I heard was Tarantino, but it sounded a lot like Kurt Russell. No, it, it was Kurt Russell. It was Kurt right? Russell. Right? It was, right? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. It was 100% Kurt Russell. Yeah, because somebody, I, I heard somewhere that it was Tarantino doing the voiceover. I'm like, I don't think it was. Anyway. Um, yes, Brad Pitt and Leo. I thought Leo was fantastic. So I love I. when, I love when he does like sort of a comedic role, like when he does something different. Yeah. And he doesn't take himself so serious, like Wolf of Wall Street. Like I, I don't know. I, this had a this had a Wolf of Wall Street feel to it when he's just unchained and like is Leo but, unchained. Yeah, but it works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it works so well. Like he's so good. He this you brought up the scene when he goes in his trailer and it and oh, that's it, one like, of my favorite scenes ever start, but the thing is the the bit about him being an alcoholic was brilliant but it starts because he's so pissed that he can't remember his lines and he's making a fool out of himself in front of all those people he's like you memorized him i you i know you did <laughs> it's so they don't know so that good. it's so good and then look the scene i, I meant the other scene i mentioned when he comes out in his bathrobe with the blender and his margarita and just starts yelling at the hippies, I thought was so funny. And I just, I was like this, the imagery of it alone was well, making I, me laugh. I also thought, even though I didn't particularly like the scene in general, but that last scene where somehow the cops and everyone disappeared immediately after a, uh, yeah. three people were murdered. He, he's having the conversation with the neighbor and, and he's just like, the way he just described just casually grabbing the the flamethrower. I had yeah. a flamethrower in the shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. There's a couple, like, really good subtleties to, to his comedy in this. And the one that's in the trailer where he, like, where she tells him that was the greatest performance, the yeah. little girl tells it, and he's just, like, fucking right. Uh, but then he does kind of the same thing uh, when he's talking to Sharon Tate on the intercom at the end. And she's like, she's like uh, Rick Dalton from from um, whatever it was show she mentioned. Yeah, Bounty um, Law or whatever. From Bounty Law, and he's just like, "Yes, ma'am." 
<laughs> like he's uh, yeah. so he's so proud actually like he <laughs> Yeah, no, he was he was a delight. Like it was such a fun performance, but it was I again maybe you didn't feel quite the same, but I thought it was an effective performance too. I know. Um, wait, I, are you talking to me? Yeah, like I just don't like you oh, didn't I seem to be as engaged with him throughout the movie. Like no, no, he saved it for me. Okay, honestly, he kept me in this movie when there were no stakes. Um, I feel like the other shoe's gonna drop here with Brad Pitt. No, I I thought Brad Pitt was good. I okay, I liked him too. Uh, yeah, I think it was one of his better performances. Brad Pitt is a very, very hit or miss actor for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, see, I, I thought I, I think I think he's got more hits than misses. I know I, I was more curious about Chapin thought of him in this movie because he sort of plays himself, which he's guilty of a lot of the time. Well, what, here's the part that doesn't work for him on this is he's supposed to be sort of like a loser, like a schlub, sort yeah. of just like oh, he he uh, has been. But you just never believe it, even when he's in the the trailer park. Like you just never yeah, believe this to... guy is not doing what, well, like, not killing it. You know? Yeah, it's tough to look past that. I didn't really have a problem with it, but I, I mean, that makes sense. Chapin, what did you think of him? Um, I, I thought he was great. I mean, I don't think he was as good really? as good as DiCaprio, but uh, yeah, I mean, sure. it's I I. I, I I didn't. I didn't take his performance more as a. I mean, maybe you're right, Jeremy. Like it, it would be ridiculous for us to think of him as a loser. But um, I, you know, he he played someone like that in Burn After Reading. I think less convincingly. That was a little bit of a different sort of tone. But um, wait, 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 let's go back to that Burn After Reading. Yeah. <laughs> the Edward Norton play. No, 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 the, no. The Coen Brothers movie. Uh what was the Edward Norton play? We burn this. Uh, okay, Which I don't okay. think is described as an Edward Norton play. <laughs> so I think that's uh, Lee and I went to that. New York. Uh, we were not oh, even twenty one. Yeah, we we're eighteen or this something. Is already we were like, embarrassing. So yeah, that was great. Drove yeah. all night. We drove all night from, from Connecticut, Connecticut. Which now is like, what took us so long to get there? To go to an Ed from Norton Hartford play. to New York, it's like a two hour drive. I thought it was called Burn After Reading. I thought that was called Burn This. Okay. Uh, well, do you, uh, do you guys want to talk about that play or? Um... <laughs> <laughs> so look, I I what I think he did right was I think I think what you, what uh, Brad Pitt Brad, <laughs> Brad Pitt is a very laid back guy. I think that that's that's the sense that I get. I think he's a bit, he, or at least he was a bit of a stoner, and I think he like really embraced that for this character. Like he seems like a nice guy who c- could can basically fight anybody in the entire world because he beats up Bruce Lee and has wait 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 uh, a nice guy. Well, I'm still not convinced that was real. I think that was a fantasy. I don't, but I don't think that's the that was what we're supposed to think. But um, I mean, he's feedback. I get your film fix. Podcast. He's very competent physically and can do a, a whole lot of stuff. And and he's just you know I don't think he's quite you know he's not satisfied with his p- position in life. But he's he's, he's a capable of violence at any moment. Exactly. But need he, be. yes. And you know I th- like I liked his I liked his persist like you get a little sense that there's a morality there when he goes to the ranch and he's persistent and he's sort of physically intimidating um and yeah i think i think he was he was great there's like there's a subtlety there i mean i I, there's i've never thought uh like leo is a great actor and i think this performance is amazing and i think the anchor of the film but he's not a subtle actor 
um, ever, I don't think. Uh, but Brad Pitt really, I think, at his best is when he is subtle and um, and when he you know doesn't let himself you know do the. Aldo, you know, Lieutenant Aldo Rain thing, right, you know, right. when he's God, not, the, he was so bad at that when he's movie. not the center of attention, when he's like somebody, he's almost like, a, and I, this is going to sound offensive, but like, he's almost like in the background. I don't, and I don't mean that he's like a background player, but he's like a, he's just sort of there and, and you're, you know, people react to him as opposed to him reacting to the scene, yeah. you know? I think that's a perfect way to yeah, describe great. it. Yeah. That's why Moneyball, he works so well in Moneyball. Right. Because he is for the, literally a character that's maybe in every scene. He's kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. All right. So we all agree that Brad Pitt was good in this, but there was a rumor that Tom Cruise could have played that role, which I I would have fucking loved to see. (laughs) Really? I don't know if I would have liked it. You don't think so? Like, I I don't think there's any way way that Tom Cruise would have taken that role. Like I know he, they, they're Why always, not? there's always a discussion. Like I feel like every, like we always hear these, like oh god, casting rumors of what, like what Tom. I don't think yeah. Tom Cruise is gonna do a film like this for the rest of oh, his I career. Disagree. I think he's gonna I make, disagree. he's I gonna make movies disagree. that he produces that are just like different versions of Mission Impossible. No, I think <laughs> I, I don't think you give him enough credit. That guy's worked with every great director Jeremy, except I, for Terry. I totally agree, but when was the last time he's done a, an interesting movie that wasn't... That was just what I was looking up. Yeah, I want to see what his recent uh, filmography looks like. He does, though. He goes outside the box every once in a while. Like, in in, in to work with Tarantino, I think he would happily do that. Well... Uh, let's see. All right. Um, we don't. Let's not Mission go. Impossible, let's not go over Top Gun, his... American Made, The Mummy. Yeah, I mean he he hasn't done anything interesting. He hasn't done anything interesting with a good director since Collateral. There you go. Two thousand four. <laughs> but still, he years does ago. It. He still does it though. Yeah, but his Chapin's point is that he's done doing that. Yeah, but he looks the same as 15 years ago. So <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter. So You're right. Doesn't matter. No, he looks no, he older can... in that movie because they made it. They yeah. aged him up. Yeah, they had to age him. They put the, the the filter on him. Yeah. The Russian aging filter. <laughs> um, I all right, have, well, all right, go ahead, Lee. Sorry. I have one final question. Uh, it just pertains to Tarantino. Um, and we can cut this out if it doesn't lead anywhere. But I was just kind of thinking, like, if you guys had to describe tarantino to somebody who knew nothing about movies or knew nothing about him how how would you do it like how would you describe him in his movies because they're unlike anything else it's a good question but like all right so if there's somebody obviously this wouldn't happen but if there's like a film geek that didn't know anything about tarantino obviously that wouldn't happen but just you know for argument's sake you would be like hey this guy is a cinematic like referential genius and he puts all that stuff in his movies and 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 puts it together in a totally unique and way that you've never seen before that's how he described that for for the most part to anyone else i'd be like yeah this movie will work for you on just a totally i don't want to say superficial but just on on its own level Yeah. Yeah. yeah This movie will work for you. Where I don't think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does that. 
Any thoughts, Chapin? I mean, I, I would just, I don't want to sound too sort of highfalutin here, but I, I would just call him the ultimate postmodern filmmaker. I mean, he just, he, he, like everything, and, and he sort of is the ultimate purveyor of pastiche, you know, like taking all these pieces of something. And, hold on, hold on, hold on. One sec. Spell that for me. Oh, come P- on. You were in the same <laughs> classes that I was. I know you had ha- often had more gas than I did, so it was harder for you to pay attention. But, you know. I had gas. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, like, do you know what I mean? He's, it, it's like, he's taking all these things. He's, it's, it's not. And an artistic work in a style that imitates that of another work or artist or period. Great word. Yeah. I, I kind of I, I don't know why I came to this, but like I sort of the, I, came, I wanted to ask you guys this question because I was sort of thinking of Tarantino as like a painter because he can cap like he basically can capture a scene better than anyone else. Like the, the scene that I was thinking about was the when Brad Pitt's driving Margaret Qualley to Spawn Ranch and like not really anything's happening. There's some dialogue there and he's at the road rejecting, yeah rejecting her uh roadhead um offer and um but like you kind of just watch it and like you the way he composes a scene he just has such like bravura bravara with all his scenes that like you can't describe it unless you're looking at it with somebody else and he pulls influences from all sorts of people and you know, it, uh, if it was a painting, if it was a painter, they call him derivative. But, you know, we call it uh, homage or pastiche no. <laughs> in the film world. And I just think, I don't know, that was sort of the comparison I drew. If you, ha- you know, we're talking to somebody who knew nothing about movies. You could say he's just like he's a, a painter. And he can paints these scenes just perfectly, even when there's not a lot going on. Mm. No. No. I just th- I think there's un- like I think Tarantino mis- scene- scenes are unmistakable. Like you you know them when you see them, even in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's my last question that I wanted to ask was um ultimately like where where does this fall in the Tarantino well, we have to catalog? Yeah. yeah, Chapin said we had to do that. Yeah. We have to rank it among our our eight that we did on the retrospective. Mm. Uh, it would be um, number seven for me. It would be number seven for me. So what's behind? So, so if, Hateful Eight and uh, Death Proof are behind it, right? Correct. Yeah, same for me. Wait, that, oh yeah, because this is his ninth, right? Right. So this would be ahead of, definitely would be ahead of both of those. And I think Jackie Brown was the next one down for me. And it's, I don't know. I don't I was, know how you don't like jackie brown more i love jackie brown but i again i really like this movie right now i think i'm with you guys it's seven uh that's the fair place to put it but i really think that upon a few more viewings this movie is going to move up for me although the end is always going to hold me back i mean i'll be very interested to see how this plays in the fixies i think by the time we get around to doing that we'll be able to watch it again so um, can i make a prediction yeah that has nothing less to do with the fixies than it does with that other uh bogus awards show that they have uh yuskas this is going to win best picture no way Mm. tarantino hasn't won best picture and this is a love letter to fucking hollywood like like, can i make you a let's make a bet right now i bet it doesn't even get nominated 
Really? Yep. Ooh, I'd like that bet. Let's do that. I'll take it. I'll take it. What, are, what is? What's the stakes? I don't know. Oh, we don't have to have any because of this movie, right? Okay. Oof. No, but really, I want I want you guys to bet at least twenty dollars. Yeah, that's fine. Twenty dollars. Try twenty thousand. Okay. Twenty bucks. Twenty so bucks. Wait, but what, so if it if it get what happens if it gets nominated and doesn't win? No, I, I, Nobody wins. I lose, it's a push. I lose. Oh, oh, so no, get, oh, that's great. So you have to if you, if you win. It has to win have, best picture. For me to win, it has to win best picture. For, for you to win, it can't get nominated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a push. That's great. Yep. I love or it. Jeremy wins. <laughs> oh yeah, then I get both your twenty dollars. I win forty bucks. <laughs> this All right. is awesome. Okay, top five. Let's do Let's it. Top do five. It. Top, top five. I just realized as I I'm looking at my thing here, I wrote top five Tarantino performances. <laughs> oh my god. That would we actually have, be a great. We have top to do five. that soon. <laughs> DiCaprio. I feel like we've done that though. We, I'm sure we've discussed. No, that. I, I think we have done that one. Okay. All right. Um, so, so Lee, you had a bunch of criteria. So let's hear. I had you are the one. Like, I don't know how you can have a lot criteria. of criteria. But. No, this is what I did. So I, I assembled my list and I looked at it and I realized I had five films from two directors. So I decided to just make things a little bit more interesting and maybe mix things up and maybe add some variety to our three lists. I would do one performance per director. Ah, okay, gotcha. So that was the only thing I did. So while this may not be a a totally true top five because of that criteria, I still, I feel like I got a few more movies in. Yeah, my only criteria was not having this movie in it. Okay. No Rick Dalton, because I think it might have made it. I do appreciate it that much. Oh, well, should I do that too? Because... He's on this it list. Was, no, it no, was no, on, it's fine. It was I, on my list um, it all, before I made this change. It made it easier for me, so that's why okay. I did it. So if, if it's on your list already, then you should keep it. Okay. All right. All right. I'll go first. Uh, my number five is Revolutionary Road. It's a movie that uh, it's tough to watch, um, but it's like... It's one of those movies where the acting is like the most purest in a way. Yeah. Where they're just, it's just going about them. for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's nothing else. Which, when you have actors like Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, it's kind of fun to watch. I mean, that sort of thing can go haywire real fast. If oh, you and it has many times in many and movies. It has, yeah. yeah, exactly. But if you have those actors it gets interesting and it gets impressive. So that's my number five. Yeah. I, I, I have to see that. Again. I thought about that. I, yeah, so it's one I, I'd like to, well, I guess I wouldn't really like to see it again, but it's, it's one that I would, uh, would like to revisit um, just so that I could look at his performance. But yeah, I mean, it's, I remember it being very moving. You know, he, I, I think one thing I liked about Rick Dalton so much was his his vulnerability and I think there are moments of just like acute vulnerability that Leo does so well in Revolutionary Road where you just like hear the you know Kate Winslet says these things to him that are devastating and he reacts like any human being would um and it's also great to think about like all the girls who love Titanic going to see this is like they're this you know kind of like a right right where it went where it went if he had died in the Atlantic (laughs) Yeah. yeah Uh, you want me to go? Am I up? Uh, I'll go. Okay, my great. number five. I went. This was one. I was. Tw- I was kind of wanted to keep this off my list, and I'll explain why. But there's really no denying it. It's it's 
the Revenant, Hugh Glass in the Revenant. Um, I just want to keep it off. Well, look. So this is this is his most maybe his most impressive performance for what he had to go through and do from sort of a method standpoint. But is this some of the best acting we've seen from Leo in the Revenant? That was my question. And no, it's it's not. And I it, he won his Oscar for this, and I think to a certain extent deservedly so because of what he put himself through, and that is essentially part of the job. So I included it. But again, it's my number five where, you know, it's it's oddly one of the first that come to mind when I think of great performances from DiCaprio. Look, for but for twenty million dollars I would actually get eaten by a bear. Well, yeah. <laughs> True. For what he makes, yes. Um yeah, but you have to, but look, you have to like, think of the context of how much money he has, not how much money you have. Right, 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 right. So that Good that's I, I feel like this is almost this at number five is an almost almost more of an interesting discussion of why it shouldn't be here than why it is. But like I said, I don't think you give it enough credit, but anyhow. But the thing is, I do. I, I really do give it a ton of credit, but for something different than I give him credit for all the other movies on my list. Yeah, I, I love that movie. Um, I think probably the most out of all three of us, but uh, I don't find that performance particularly um, moving. I mean, I think it is just like a a feat of endurance. And I mean, that's kind of the, right? the, yeah, the, that's... the way that... And I don't just mean Wait. like what he went through. I just mean like his performance is... You but know, isn't it weird it, that it comes across on screen? Like you, you, you feel that feat of endurance right, and on that's, screen. No, I think that's yeah, true, and, and that's I, all a credit to him. Th- it was going to yeah. be my number five. I mean, I it, it was you know technically it tied for number five for me, but um, I you know we don't want to do we want to do that. But my number five is Wolf of Wall Street, which I just think is like a. I don't like that movie as much as I like The Revenant, but you know it's just it's it's not it's a different. You know, he, but he, I his, like his I command, love when Leo does does fun stuff and, and when he you know, like you said command the screen like that. Yeah, no, and I, I I agree. I think that, and that's why it kind of I think it won out over the Revenant for me, just because you. And that's my number four, just to tie it all. In. You don't. So that's my number four. You don't feel like. I, honestly, I mean, I'm really glad it was Leo because I do think it's a it's a good performance, but. I, I don't know I can't think of anybody who could play who could sort of work as well as he does with Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street. I feel like Hugo Glass could have been played by a number of other modern actors his age. Um, you know, and uh, as as much as I love that film, I think his his performance is much more important to the actual film as in Wolf of Wall Street. And I think it's a braver performance, ironically, you know, considering all the things he had to go through for the revenant. But like you know, snorting coke out of a hooker's ass as your introduction yeah, the to the character, the I think. Poor guy. Yeah. Speaking of method performances, yeah. yeah. That was just they just happened to have the cameras rolling. Right. <laughs> that was in his trailer. They had to like change the the set dressing in post. Um. Okay, my number four is a movie I should probably see again, and I will admit I have couple issues with it but i think it's a great performance it's blood diamond his accent uh, really bothers me in this i don't like the accent and i don't know if it's him it's right i don't know yeah so i don't know if it's him or if it's just the accent that's annoying but if you watch this movie and if you can get past the accent he's really good in this um and you know a, a million different emotions that he portrays as one would expect in an edward zwick movie but uh it's really good like he 
I, I I've seen like clips and scenes from it just in doing my research for this. And I was like, wow, like the, he's pulling some stuff off here that like, you know, you kind of forget or you don't care because I don't know. I blood diamond, like I said, is a movie I should probably see again, but I don't, I, my guess is I'll kind of give it a never mess. see it again. Well, no, I'm, you know, I just don't think it's something that's going to hold up particularly well. Um, but yeah, he's great in this. Um, that's a, that, that, that's a good pick. I have to see it again though. Yeah. Chapin. It's a little too much like just bad writing and, uh, you know, h- yeah. him sort of screaming in people's faces. Uh, you know, I don't know. But that, and that's my point. Like, I think there's a lot of things in this movie that you can critique that aren't really the fault of, aren't his fault and aren't a discredit to the performance. Yeah, I mean, yes, he's but really I, good. But I think an actor of his caliber, and especially when we're breaking down his top can five, rise above that. Well, not only that, but like in in his great performances are performances that elevate movies, you know. And I don't, I mean, I think, I guess, elevate movies to a point where they where they become interesting. And I think we'll get to some of those, but um, I don't think he did that for Blood Diamond. Know who my uh, favorite samurai of all time is? Tom Cruise. Last Samurai. Yeah. yeah. Edward Zick. All right. My number four is The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, we Where? already said that. Oh, we already said that. My number, number three. Shit. My number no, three is... No, it's Chapin's is... turn. Yeah, my number... Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Go Chapin's turn with number four. My number four is the controversial The Aviator. I was, I was actually hoping this would show up on your list because I, yes. I haven't seen it in so long. Yeah, um, we've talked a lot about the film, and I, I, I do think it's an example of what I'm what I'm talking about. I think this is a film he had wanted to make. I think it's the only one that he's actually brought to Scorsese, although I could be wrong, um, versus the other way around. Uh, and I think his passion for the character and the movie comes through really nicely and I, and I and I think like there's these moments in mo- in careers of actors where things change there's a seminal moment and to me the aviator is DiCaprio's seminal moment he, he comes out he makes um, he does you know he becomes very famous and it's sort of a teeny bopper way with with Titanic even though he was quite famous before he makes a couple movies but this movie is what actually I think made people think of him as a serious actor and one of the best of his generation. You don't think it was gangs? I do not. I think he's bad in gangs. I think he's terrible in gangs. I do. Well, look, I, I also, I agree, but I, I think that's where people started looking I, at him, like, oh, he's working with Scorsese. He's side by side with Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, like, I, well, I, I think, look, I think it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of, I think that he's a quality actor, and that, and that, um, uh, Scorsese was willing to cast him, but I think this is a different level. This is his movie. He's in literally every scene. I think. Yeah, well, probably. I disagree with all that because I, if I'm going to tip my cards, um, I well, Lee knows this for sure. I think you know this, Jabin. Like, I was not a fan of Leonardo DiCaprio's for a long, long time. I thought he was a terrible actor. I think a lot until, of us were. Until The Departed. Like, that's where, to me, it changed. Sure. And... Which was gangs, next. Gangs, I mean. Yeah, it was next. But Gangs in New York, nope. I thought, like, miscast. Not as miscast as Cameron Diaz, obviously. Nobody <laughs> has ever in the history of cinema 
been more miscast. But yeah, I, I I think the Aviator was before where I realized Leo was a great actor. Um, so is that your number three, The Departed? Nope, my number three is The Revenant. Okay. Uh, I'm up. My number three. Yep. So sandwiched right between The Departed and oh wait, never mind. Uh, sandwiched between the aviator and gangs in New York was catch me if you can is my number three. Wow. Um, working with Steven Spielberg. Um, I mean, look, this is another performance of him having some fun. This is a fun movie, which I think maybe lends to that. Um, the scene that always comes to mind for me with this is when he fakes being a CIA agent with Tom Hanks after, when Tom Hanks essentially runs into the room and catches him. And I don't know. I this is I this for me is although I think I saw this after some of the movies we were just discussing. This for me like I look back at this and I say like this is going to be a very accomplished actor. Like he has a feel for the character that he's playing here. He knows what he's doing and I think you know he feels very young in this like he seems is the same year as Gangs but like he feels more like titanic age than he does the adult that's in gangs aviator departed and so on and so forth um kind of in that early 2000s but i just think he this is a good example of him as i guess you could say a a young actor to a certain extent having a real feel for what he's supposed to do yeah it's a it's a real movie star movie yeah, yeah, I actually don't mind him in that, and it goes against my argument where he started being good in the the Departed, but um, he's fine in that movie. Like, I I I feel like he's he's you know makes the movie work, but yeah, it's not where I see Leonardo DiCaprio as Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, all right. Uh, my number th- is it my turn. Yeah, yep. number three. My number three is his supporting role in Django Unchained. Um, again, it's it's the, you know, subtlety is not his his foray, and and th- this is certainly a good example of that. But it's kind of just like a deliciously evil portrayal, and um, oh, it's over the top. It's over the top, but it works for sort of perfectly with the film I think the tone of the film um, and and you know I, I, it's hard to sort of I just I, I also just like his again I think it go, this goes back to his vulnerability he, you know you don't think of him as being vulnerable as, as as Calvin Candy but there are these moments where he's trying to measure up to um the Christoph Waltz character and he's trying to appear intelligent when he's not and there's these little moments that just kind of make that character just a little bit more sympathetic than he should be um, which I like I just think that that's that's why you hire Leo especially what that's why you hire Leo for an unflattering supporting role is he just makes things a little more um, complex yeah, that's my number two. I think you said it perfectly, Chapin. That was uh, that was when I realized he he can do anything. 
to really anything. Like he can, which do, I actually still don't know is yeah. if that's true. But yeah, yeah, he can do more than just be a good actor version of himself. He can do other things, and that's where I realized it. So that's my number two. My number two is Shutter Island. Ah, uh, oh, that's awesome. I think this is, again, like I said, I was going just one performance per director. So I, I, this was tough because I had to pick my favorite of his among with Scorsese, Scorsese movies. Yeah, and I went with Shutter Island. There's a lot of competition there. Um, you guys mentioned a couple times the vulnerability piece that he does well, and this might be, I think, maybe his best work there. Um, but he plays confident and crazy at the same time in this movie. I just think. This is an underrated performance of his as well, and I like to give it credit whenever I can. No, I thought about putting that on the list, but then I thought it'd be too biased. Because you gave him pointers and stuff on that. Well, I mean, you remember that that lady, the old lady that said, shh, she was into me. Yeah, I know. You... <laughs> <laughs> I remember the joke he said, which is only funny if you're watching it and point her yeah. out. Alright. Chapin, your number two. My number two is Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love that you love that so much. That's great. That, so that was my um that was my number two uh before I made changes based on uh the directors. Directors. Which might tip my hand at my number one, but yeah, I mean that it's so good. Okay, what's It's Leo, it's Leo like coming to terms with who he is now, which I like. <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's a being failing, vul- a failing actor. No, no, not in that way, but like just being vulnerable and just gay aging and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean I yeah. think that's a good time to talk about what makes Leo such a special actor is that I think that he is just he's literally the only person I can think of who is truly like a box office gold mine every time who hasn't made uh, a Marvel or superhero movie. I mean, you could argue that maybe that's what Titanic was in a way, but I don't think anybody blames him for... That's a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so he consistently chooses interesting projects with interesting filmmakers, and they are big budget. He doesn't have to take pay cuts to... Or at least big pay cuts to you know work with interesting people he can he's he's sort of a catalyst for these sort of mid-range bigger budget movies that are still interesting and i think that that's incredible i think you know the only other person he doesn't make enough of them. no i mean yeah he took yeah. four years like the revenant is a great example of that like that movie was extraordinarily expensive and difficult to make and i don't know that that gets made with anybody besides leo because honestly it's not a sure thing otherwise yeah yeah, no, there's nobody else like that. I mean, the only one close is Tom Cruise, I think, that doesn't do all that other stuff. And yeah, just but to Chapin's point, like he does his own version of all that other stuff with Mission Impossible, and like he he's he's still a franchise guy. Leo's yeah, but not. he's still like I think there's, I, I see what I you're th- saying. I don't. I, I agree. think there's only a couple movie stars left in this world, and Leo is. The definition of one, maybe Brad Pitt, maybe Tom Cruise. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, Jeremy, you're number one. It is The Departed. So before The Departed, I actually disliked Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor. Like 100%, I thought he was not good. And then my mind changed at The Departed. And I don't know what else to say. Like ever since Have then, it. I've been like, this guy's incredible. So, and I remember, I remember like arguing with Tyson. And being like, that guy's not good. And then, like, the departed came out. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's good. Tyson just wants to see him naked, though. That doesn't count. Well, don't we all? What's... Well, yeah, we do. <laughs> now we do. What is your, what is your number? <laughs> is it your turn? My number one. Yeah, my number one. And this was my number one before I made my criteria. I've, I've stood by this since my revisit of this movie on the Tarantino retrospective, Django Unchained. Calvin Candy. I think this is his best work. I really do. Wow. He's so good in this. And like he's evil and he's a great villain and he's hilarious and he's over the top in the best possible way. You guys said it all. Yeah, he's not afraid to be either. That's the great thing. Right? Yeah, he's like not, you're a slave owner that the worst that, kind of villain. Yeah, yeah like, that that fights people for a living and he's just embraced that role. Owns it. Yep. Yeah. Owns it and somehow also makes it funny, which maybe only he and Tarantino can do together. Well, no, I mean, well, yeah, the funny part for sure. It's like Ralph Fiennes in Schindler's List. Yeah, the funny part. You just got to go for it. Yeah, Yeah. you got to go for the hilarity. (laughs) She can't laugh about it. (laughs) Oh, my God. God. Uh, Uh, All right. Uh, You're number one, Chapin. It's also the departed. The departed. So as you guys can maybe understand why I try, tried to do the director mix-up. I mean, we had like 14 Scorsese movies on these <laughs> 15 picks. Yeah, but so what? He does, I mean, like that's who he chooses no, to it's work true. for a reason. So that will do it for this amazing edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I think we should always start ending it with a, an adjective like that. You know, amazing edition, superb edition, something. Just so people, in case they didn't like it, we kind of <laughs> This pathetic edition yeah. of the Get Your Film Fix. <laughs> <laughs> this exhausting edition of the Fixies. Um, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Let us know how you like what we're doing. Send us an email, feedback, at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Let us know your thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How did this movie stand up with uh, the rest of Tarantino's movies? Do you like that this was something different? What did you think of our takes on it? And, of course, continue to tell all your friends about our podcast. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.